Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to the BBM Global Network with 25 years in broadcast audio and video production. Our passionate team creates content and marketing for the world of Internet talk radio. If you've got a passion, come join us at BBMGlobalNetwork.com. The BBM Global Network. Your voice is now heard. Welcome to Finding Sanity in Co-Parenting with your host, Laura McMahon. Laura will help you regain your sanity by addressing the three most important areas of co-parenting, communications, scheduling, and finances. In addition, Laura brings her practical stepmom life experience each week and invites experts from the divorce and co-parenting professional ecosystem to share insights and answer listener questions. So please, welcome the host of Finding Sanity in Co-Parenting, Laura McMahon. Hello, my name is Laura McMahon, and this is Sanity in Co-Parenting, coming to you live from the BBM Network. And this evening, I am speaking again with Kathleen Fisher, uh, who was on two episodes ago. And just to give a a really quick uh, recap of who Kathleen is, um, she is uh, a registered nurse with a master's degree in education, and um, she has done a lot of work in the public health settings in schools presented professional and corporate developmental uh, seminars and really focuses on teens and family life balance. So Kathleen, I'm so happy to have you back on the show. Thanks for coming back on. Thanks. It's fun to be with you guys. Great. Well, last time we were saying that we uh, really kind of ran out of time in every single segment that we that we did. Um, so, you know, we've, uh, we threatened that we were going to have a second episode and here we are, we made it happen. (laughs) Sounds good to me. Um, so the last time that we talked, we, um, we really kind of hit quite a few different segments, um, and, and subjects. And, um, one of the things that we did talk about that I think that we both felt we wish we'd had a little bit more time on was, uh, the the mental health aspect of teenagers and how parents can help deal with with any kind of mental health issue that kids are having. So I, I know that we had wanted to spend a little bit more time on that. So I'm going to take 
advantage of our <laughs> of our uh, our second episode here to just go back and hit that topic again. That sounds great. You know, since we spoke last month, I've been thinking a good bit about that. And your initial question to me was, how can a parent be helpful with regard to a teenager's mental health? And I sort of took that in the direction of healthy adjustments to difficult situations, which I certainly think is worthwhile. But a couple of things occurred to me. First of all, a a couple of pretty important foundation things, but then also to look a little bit more at when mental health is not really going very well. So the first thing that that I wanted to say about mental health in general is we will notice among teenagers and even as early as teenagers that we see some pretty emotional outbursts. For girls, it tends to be a lot of trauma, maybe crying, maybe raising their voices at others, but maybe just being, (laughs) oh, woe is me, full of self-pity and all that kind of stuff. Among boys, it can sound a little more aggressive, a little more hostile, uh, and out and out angry, explosive, um, all of those things. And what we need to understand is that the area that controls emotion or that responds to emotional circumstances within the teenage brain is in the process of actually moving within the brain structure from the amygdala out to the cerebral cortex. And during that time, kids are not doing such a great job of figuring out what their emotions are and what the appropriate response is. Sometimes I say that they're out of emotional calibration. So if you you think about the thermostat in your house is calibrated, right? So if you set it for 72, it ought to be 72 degrees in your house. But if you set it at 72 and it's 93, it would be out of calibration. Well, a lot of times we'll observe that our kids are sort of out of emotional calibration. So let's say, (laughs) I'm making this up, right? On a scale of one to 10, a four point offense has happened. Their friend upset them or their coach spoke roughly to them. So it's a four point offense, but the response we see may be something like a 17 (laughs) on a 10 point scale. It's off the (laughs) scale. And, and so we look at that and, and it's frustrating because we're like, oh, settle down. It's not that bad or da, 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 da. And it may be difficult to settle an angry teen or a highly dramatic, full of self-pity teen at that moment. But I, I do want to underscore that it's sort of important to help our kids learn about emotional calibration because here's why. When you come to me and you're upset, I assume that the cause of your being upset is approximately matching how undone you are. So if you come in, you're a 17, man, oh man, I'm ready to jump in as your parent. I'm ready to do something. I'm going to go on the attack. Oh, wait a minute. They just told you to sit down without saying please. Uh, That doesn't rise to a 17. So in life, People are going to respond to you based on what you present them. And if you're presenting a 17 consistently, it's a little bit like the the boy who called wolf 
You know, we, mm-hmm. we crank up other people's empathy. We crank up other people's response, even protectiveness, only to discover that it, it wasn't required. So at some point, it is useful to have a conversation with kids a little bit about this whole idea of emotional calibration. And, you know, gosh, it looks like you're really, really, really angry about this. Is it worthy of that? Or you're really upset. Is it worthy of that? If you were going to rate it on a one to 10 scale, where does it match? And what we'll find often is a kid will say, you know, if we said on a one to 10 scale, where does, you know, snagging your fingernail, where it is your mom having breast cancer, where it is doing poorly on a math test, how do those rate? Uh, breaking up with your boyfriend. She'll say, oh, breaking up with my boyfriend, that's the worst. You know? and, right. and they'll be out of, they'll be, they'll be out of calibration. So that's pretty normal. And it's part of what they have to learn. And we can take offense at it, but I encourage you to give it some thought that they're not so clear about this yet and their brain is under construction and how can I help them respond in a way that's going to actually get them what they want. Right. And so right. that's, that's sometimes a pretty good question too. So that whole notion of emotional calibration, I think is a useful one for parents to remember and to help kids learn about. Right. And, and I do really like what you're saying too, about um, <laughs> reminding yourself that everything is a little bit heightened. Those you know, you feel maybe when you're that age, you feel things a little bit stronger because it's the first few times that you're going to be feeling really big things. So they feel much mm-hmm. bigger than than they would when you've had some some real life experience. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I, I think that that all makes perfect sense. And it's a it's a good reminder to keep in the back of your mind as a parent as well. Um, well, as usual, we've um, gone really quickly through our first <laughs> segment here. It seems like oh dear. Um, so. Oh dear. Yep, yep. We so we're gonna go take a break. Um, but when we come back, we are going to be chatting about dads and the relationship that fathers have with their kids. So hang in there. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. What if there were a super tiny device that could diagnose the brain and is smaller than a single human hair? What if you could see inside the brain to help an epilepsy patient during surgery or to help the fight against Parkinson's disease? Dr. Patricia Broderick is proud to announce the Broderick Probe, a biomedical and electronic breakthrough. Imagine a probe to help with the understanding and potential cure of brain-related diseases. To learn more, listen live to the Easy Sense Radio Show with host Dr. Broderick, Wednesdays, 7 p.m. Eastern on the Bold Brave Media Network and TuneIn Radio. And to help support the Broderick Foundation, please go to Easy sense.com and learn how with your help we can fight these horrific brain disorders that's easysense.com to learn more and help support the broderick foundation if you seek a courageous advocate prepare to champion your rights with consumer service agencies that support aging populations carol ann hamilton is the one for you Carol Ann is an elder care coach, author, and speaker with a quarter million hours lived experience successfully supporting unculpable aging parents. 
As a result of a challenging journey, Carol Ann revolutionizes how stressed out caregivers restore serenity to their worlds. She also brings over 25 years of change management expertise in Fortune 500 settings to catalyze urgent transformation within the elder care industry. Carol Ann is a popular speaker at conferences across North America. She has appeared via TV, radio, and print globally. Now you can tune in weekly to get a dose of her inspiration plus down-to-earth advice to cope with even the most difficult aging parents. Listen Wednesdays at 9 a.m. Eastern on Bold Brave Media and TuneIn Radio. We are back with Sanity and Co-Parenting by Kin Crew. My name is Laura McMahon, and this evening Kathleen and I are talking about teenagers and tweenagers and parenting. And uh, before we jump into our next topic here, which is really a focus on fathers, um, we just wanted to wrap up a thought, uh, Kathleen, about um, mental health and when it's appropriate to really get outside help. Mm -hmm. I think this is a real challenge, Laura, because um, the truth is that teenage emotions are so um, fluid and so up and down. Disaster this morning. My test went well. I'm better. My friends didn't save a place for me. I, at lunch, I'm worse. I had a good time in my track run this afternoon. I'm better. It's just, you know, kind of all over the board. So sometimes it is difficult to for a parent to recognize when help around mental health issues is really important. A rule of thumb that I use when I'm talking to a family, and I am not a mental health professional, but um, a rule of thumb that I do is I sort of check out how bad is it? How long does it last? How often does it happen? Have you thought of hurting yourself? So let's go back and look at those. How bad is it? So if you could imagine, we've got a line that goes across the middle of the page, and that's zero. A great day goes to a plus 10. A not-so-great day goes to a minus 10. And so we might say to our kid, I see that you're down in the minus zone. Uh, how, where are you on this scale? I might even draw it. And they say, well, I'm a minus 3 or a minus 2. I'm a minus 14. Okay. How often is that happening? And, and we take their report, if they're old enough, to give us a, a pretty reliable report. But we also uh, coordinate it with our observations. And by the way, sometimes we catch the, wet, the worst of it at home. So out in the school day, out in the, out in the athletic performance, things go pretty well, but then they unravel when they get home. So, you know, where are you when you're at track? Where are you when you're at home? So we try and get that. How bad, how often does it happen once a month? Does it happen four times a day? And how long does it last? So if you've had a kid who's been consistently minus seven, minus eight, minus nine for weeks and weeks, we need to do something about that. And we talked last time, I think, some in our toolkit about different things we might try. One of the first things that we try, because it's so well based in data, is being outdoors with sunlight on our retina, participating in activities which ups our dopamine, 
uh, sleeping in a regular way and eating in a regular way. It's so boring, boring, boring. I wish I could offer something more glamorous. But it turns out <laughs> all four of those things have terrific impact on mental health. So, so we're talking with our kid and then especially that question about have you thought of hurting yourself? And a lot of parents are reluctant to ask that question because they assume that it may suggest an idea which has not occurred to the kid. And in fact, what we know from research study after research study after research study is that if a kid is in a very serious bout of depression, <laughs> nobody has to suggest self-harm to them. They've thought of it. So the only new news in the room is the parent getting on the same page. And it can be really an important conversation to have. Um, I like to frame it for a kid that we all hit rough patches. And sometimes we can pull ourselves back out of the ditch and sometimes we need help. What kind of help do you think you might need? And, and then if it's beyond my ability to help you, I feel really great about finding somebody that can help you and me figure out what's going to work for you. And so this is not a, you're messed up. And by the way, I will say to you that if we take our kids to a professional, even if we do not intend to, to suggest this, or this is not our thought at all, they very often will read, I must be really messed up. Uh, because if I were just like a normal kid, my parents had solved this or figured it out. But if they're taking me to the doctor, the psychiatrist, the psychologist, man, I must be messed up. And I, when people bring kids to me, I encourage them to say, you know, this is somebody who knows more stuff than we do. And we're hoping we can learn some tools that will help us. So we try and make it neutral and, you know, not a negative black mark on their scorecard or something like right, that. Right, right. When we've talked about mental health in our family, what I like to say is you fall down and you break your arm. You need to go see a medical professional for that. And mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. need to take your medical, your mental health just as seriously. And if you're mm -hmm. struggling with something that doesn't feel healthy in your mental health, then you go see a professional for that. And that, and it just, I think that if you say that enough times, or you just talk about it casually, it, it takes that stigma away. And I think it's really important mm -hmm. that we're doing that across the board, not just with kids, but that should be the you know, I, I won't get up on my soapbox over here about mental health, <laughs> but um, I, th I think that that is a really important mindset for everyone to have, is that you, you mm -hmm. take care of yourself physically, you take care of yourself mentally. It's a really big piece. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, one thing I want to just acknowledge with all of that is that that can be taking care of your child in that way and um, making some lifestyle changes. Uh, can definitely be very effective, but I know that that's something that divorced families struggle with because often when parents have split up, they have very different cultures between the homes. And mm -hmm. sometimes <laughs> that type of thing, especially handling mental health, uh, can be really difficult to get on the same page about. So I just want to acknowledge that we know that that's something that is difficult and open lines of communication between parents and kids are, is always the best way to go. Um, and hopefully you have a, a co-parent who is willing to 
get on the same page with you about that if that's something that you're struggling with. Um, mm-hmm. so we've, uh, there we go. We've, we filled up a whole nother section and, uh, we need to go take another break. Um, but we will be back in just a couple of minutes with some more great parenting advice from Kathleen. So just hang in there. We'll be right back. Tune into It's All About You with host Dr. Martha Latz, a lively weekly broadcast on BBM Global Network, one of the most empowering shows for time-starved, overscheduled multitaskers. The professional expertise of Dr. Latz is directly available live every Thursday at 1 p.m. to answer and address concerns about relationships, life transitions of career, meeting, dating, and committed relationships. It's All About You with Dr. Latz will expand your understanding of current and concerns across your relationships by broadening and expanding possible solutions in developing skills for mutually desired outcomes. Dr. Martha's expertise is as a licensed marriage and family therapist, life, transition coach, and all things to do with communication at work, home, and with friends. Check out her website at auniquetherapycenter.com. Dr. R.C. will share extraordinary resources and services that promote educational success as well as making a difference in the lives of all social workers as well as the lives of children, adolescents, and teens of today. She will have open discussions addressing many of the issues that we face about our youth and how being employed in the uniquely skilled profession of social work for over 18 years has taught invaluable lessons through her personal experiences. She will also provide real-life facts, examples, and personal stories that will confirm that why serving as a child advocate is extremely beneficial when addressing the needs of the whole child. Listen live to Dare to Soar, Saturdays, 10 a.m. Eastern, on the BBM Global Network, and tune in radio as Dr. R.C. will provide thought-provoking information that will empower, encourage, and strengthen students, families, and communities across our nation. You can also visit her at soarwithkatie.com. We are back with Sanity in Co-Parenting. I am Laura McMahon, and this evening, Kathleen Fisher and I are talking about uh, parenting relationships with teens and tweens, and uh, we've been chatting about mental health, kind of picking up from where we we were last time when Kathleen was on the show a couple episodes ago, and uh, now we're moving into relationships specifically for fathers. And so this is this is like dad advice zone. <laughs> That's where we're going, right, Kathleen? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so, Laura, I offer a class series called Fathers Are Not Assistant Mothers. And I think there's nothing like divorce to clarify the lines that dads are 100% full-time parents when divorce happens, it, it really shifts the um, uh, parent load squarely down the middle, or it often does. I won't say it always does, but um, it, it really helps us get clear about some of the things that dads are in a very unique position to offer. And um, it, it shouldn't surprise us that dads have variable impact on their kids by gender, of course. And 
it makes sense. I love, there's a quote from Mark Twain that says, when a boy's about 12 or 13, he chooses a man to model himself after and does so ever after, whether the man wishes it or not. And what we'll very often notice is that our boy chooses dad. Dad's the hero. Dad's got it all nailed down. Dad's, you know, knows everything. And by the way, is the measuring stick that the boy measures himself by. And that can be for better or for worse, right? Um, but as he moves through that, his eye is on dad. And um, it's curious to me, I had three brothers in my family. And as I learned about that, I looked at my dad and I looked at my three brothers. And as it turned out, I believe that each one of them chose a different part of my dad to model, <laughs> which was kind of interesting, you know, that that you'd say, well, if I have three boys, they'll all turn out alike, right? No, not necessarily. But given the kids' temperament, but also um, I think they highlight different things. Um, when it comes to dads and daughters, I think that dads more or less set the tempo for how a guy should treat you, how he should feel about you. And Needless to say, it's great if dad is crazy about her, and that isn't always easy when she's 12 to 17. She can get pretty unpleasant, but um, he sort of sets the bar for this is the way that you ought to be loved. This is the way you ought to be treated, and when some man loves you as much as I do, then you bring him to me and we'll talk about it. Now, that sounds really patriarchal. But um, it's very interesting. I have worked with battered and abused women and women coming out of prostitution. And when we talk about their relationship with their dads, it is virtually always quite scrambled that um, so much of their efforts to win the affections of guys went back to wishing they had the affection of dad. So now, when she gets sort of, I don't like my dad, nah, 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 then that's like a whole different kind of deal. I, maybe in the next segment, we can share a little bit about some of the wonderful stories I've heard about dads connecting with daughters. But um, I think it's useful for us as we think about dads and gender differences. And by the way, this is also true of mothers, but we're just looking at dads tonight, that females tend to bond over shared confidences. So if you're my pal or if I like you, I'm going to tell you my stuff, okay? And if I mm -hmm. don't like you, I'm not going to tell you my stuff. And then there's all kinds of subtle things among females about who tells who what and, you know, how close and how that's <laughs> ranked and so on. Yeah. Guys tend to bond around shared activities. If you ask a boy who's your best friend, He's likely to think about it and say, nah, Scotty's my best friend. You know, we're in scouts together. We're on the same team. Um, so now we're looking at dad, and he would probably be most comfortable, because he's a guy, bonding around a shared activity. But if he's trying to connect with his daughter, seeing if there is a way that we can facilitate shared confidences, is going to be useful. I had a dad come up to me after a talk I gave one night, and he said, so when my daughter, my teenage daughters tell me all that drivel, I'm supposed <laughs> to be interested. <laughs> and I said, well, 
only if you want to connect with her, buddy. And, um, <laughs> you know, so it's, I mean, it's a funny thing because we are boys or girls in some ways our whole life. Now, some of us are on different spectrums on that scale, right? So like, if you got to, I have a friend who's the only brother and has five sisters. That guy is schooled in girldom, I'll tell you. And <laughs> he is not your typical guy. But um, we approach our children in some gender-specific ways also. For example, mom wants shared confidences. So when she says to her 16-year-old boy, how is the party? What she really wants to know is all the details. And those details are not of interest to him. He didn't even notice. And P.S., it would never occur to him to share them. Because now, who did what? Or what, you know, what was happening at the party in terms of activity? Maybe. But again, it wouldn't occur to him to share that because that's not the way he connects. And so just right out of the gate, there are some interesting gender differences that are going to impact our relationship, dad's relationship with his kids. Girls tend to use a lot of words and elaboration and detail. And guys tend to go for a more streamlined, non-emotional content-laden conversation. So when she <laughs> yes, there's, stuff, there's a lot of like, grunting from teenage boys in my house as answers to questions. Yep. I will... <laughs> yep. Yep. And, and it tends to many women to feel quite personal. You know, like he is purposely withholding this to me to be mean. And it just isn't so. <laughs> I guess I guess that's and, a good thing to remember for, for myself included. <laughs> and, and it's I not personal. I say to my sons, I laughingly say to my sons, I'm a girl. I need more details, more emotion. Try again, please. <laughs> so we, we do have some latitude to help them grow. And we need to remember we're preparing them for, for some woman down the line with any kind of luck. So. <laughs> That's very true. All right. Yeah. We have to go take another break. When we come back, we are going to continue the conversation about fathers and communicating with their kids. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. Got it. If you're a person caring for someone living with dementia, then this program is for you. It's designed for families and friends coping with the challenges of caregiving. The foundation of care, Susan Kohler believes, is communication. Innovative Dementia Care with Susan Kohler provides strategies to keep the lines of communication open between you and your loved one, increase quality interactions, decrease the burden of daily care for you, the caregiver. Join Susan, 11 a.m. Eastern, on the BBM Global Network. Susan and her guests will share techniques so you can facilitate your loved one's ability to safely follow your instructions, participate in daily activities, and express daily wants and desires. To learn positive solutions, creative ideas, and practical strategies that will build a healthy foundation of care. Mike Zorick, a three-time California state champion in Greco-Roman wrestling at 114 pounds. Mike, blind since birth, was born in Hartford, Connecticut. He was a six-time national placer, including two seconds, two-thirds, and two-fourths. He also won the Veterans Folk Style Wrestling twice at 152 pounds. In all these tournaments, he was the only blind competitor. 
Nancy Zorick, a creative spirit whose talents have taken her to the stage and into galleries and exhibitions in several states. Her father, a commercial artist who shared his instruments with his daughter and helped her fine-tune her natural abilities, influenced her decision to follow in his footsteps. Ms. Zorick has enjoyed a fruitful career doing what she loves. Listen Saturday mornings at 12 Eastern for The Nancy and Mike Show for heartwarming stories and interesting talk on the BBM Global Network. We are back with Sanity and Co-Parenting by Kin Crew. I'm Laura McMahon and Kathleen and I are talking tonight about parenting and specifically dads and relationships with, with their kids and tweens and teens and all of the crazy things that goes along with that. And I was just saying to Kathleen on the break, you know, I'm totally guilty of taking it personally when I ask one of my uh, stepsons how his day has gone and I've gotten a, oh, good. And then a wander out of the room and it's like, what do you not care to tell me? And you're, t- you, what you're telling me is that's just who they are. It's, it's nothing to be taken personally. So I'm definitely going to have to remind myself of that in the future. Yes. And, and I don't necessarily want to say that that's where we leave them. I, I'd le- if we have time, I'd love to tell you the story about a guy uh, out of Boston, a psychologist. Um, and he came, I am out of Dallas and he was in Dallas to give a talk. And when I read the title of the talk, the title was, I don't want to talk about it. And I presumed reading that title that it had to do with adolescent boys. And I do a lot of research about boys and a lot of interviews. And so I thought, I'm going to go hear this guy. It turns out it was not about boys. It was about men in marriage. (laughs) (laughs) He went on to, to talk about, now this guy's a psychologist, right? And he told the story about his 15-year-old son in Boston. This was during the big dig where they tore into the heart of the city to build an underground uh, transit system through this heart of the city. And so it was just a traffic mess for years. Anyway, this guy, the psychologist's son, uh, made a select ice hockey team. And the whole family was very excited, except for one thing. Practice three nights a week was all the way across the city, and it ran from 5.30 to 7.30. So Ugh. it was exactly at the dinner time. Yep. To get there would take more than an hour of transportation. And by the time the dad got the kid there, there was no sense going back home to come back to get him to take him back home. I mean, it, it, so what happened was that it meant that somebody – had one parent had to agree to go three nights a week, miss dinner, drive this traffic thing, sit around for a couple of hours and drive back. So it's a fairly major commitment. Okay. So the mm-hmm. dad says, look, my schedule is a little flexible. Mom, you stay home and get the other kids dinner and start on their homework and that stuff. And I'll drive the kid to and from hockey. So the first day he picks up the kid at school because they have to leave from school to get there through the traffic. Right. And he says to the kid, so how was your day? And the kid says, fine. And he said, well, what'd you do? Nothing. Now, there, you know, any parent who drives carpool regularly is not going to be surprised by those responses. But this is a psychologist, right? So he, he listens and he thinks to himself, hmm, 
kid must have had a bad day. I'll just leave him alone. Second day rolls around. Same song, same verse. How was your day? Fine. What'd you do? Nothing. And no conversation. And the dad didn't really care for that. Okay. So the third day, the kid gets in the car. They start up this conversation again. The dad pulls the car over to the side of the road and stops. And he said, do you know why I drive you to soccer or to uh, hockey? It says, because uh, you have to. He said, no, actually, I don't have to. I do this because I love you. And I love you enough to sacrifice dinner with the other family members. I love you enough to tear up my evening for four hours. I love it you, you enough to make this possible for you. So here's the deal. Tomorrow, when I ask you how school was, what happened, what are you doing? I expect you to tell me three things that happened at school, three thoughts that passed through your brain, three interactions you had other people. Are we clear? Because if you don't care enough about me to engage in conversation, I'm going to need to rethink my commitment to driving you to hockey. Do you got it? And the kid nodded <laughs> next day. The next time the dad drove, the kid gets in the car. And before the dad can say, how was your day? The kid says, hey, dad, I've been thinking about something. And he said, I've been thinking about prejudice. Do you think that it is possible that prejudice just isn't a racial thing or a financial thing? Do you think it could be a public school, private school thing? Because this is what I've been noticing. And the dad smiled and said, game on. So he went on to say That's great. that we sometimes allow boys to slide by with very low expectations. Now, he, he said at that time, if our girl came in and said, you know, I was thinking about running for student council, but I don't know. I don't know if I'm a very good leader, and I don't know if I can really get up in front of people. I don't know. We would encourage her. We would push her. We would help her to take that next step to establish her confidence and her leadership. He said, why would we do less for our boys who are learning social skills? We need to encourage it. We need to expect it. We need to demonstrate or explain what's expected and then help them accomplish that. So, right. That makes perfect sense. And, and one of my very favorite things that I've ever heard anybody say was, um, you know, you're not raising children, you're raising adults. So if you, yeah. if you're expecting someone to communicate with you as a teenager, then they should take that into their adult relationships as well. Right. And, and I'm, that's not to say that some kids aren't shy or some kids, you know, they don't know what to ask. Um, and so we say, uh, one mother I know said to her, to her, her kids, her boys were about 13 and 11, and they were going to a family Thanksgiving. And she said, it was like the Tuesday night before the Thursday Thanksgiving, right? And she said, okay, tomorrow night at dinner, I am going to ask each of you, here are the people, they had a little chalkboard in their kitchen. She wrote the names of the, I don't know, six or seven family members that were going to be there. She said, I want you to have a conversation question ready for each of these six people. And if you don't, you don't get to go on Thanksgiving. Now, <laughs> if they were 17, they'd say, yippee, I don't have to go. But right. these guys were young. And I happened to be attending that Thanksgiving when they showed up. And I talked to her the next day. And I said, wow, I'm so impressed. 
your guys have really rounded the bin. I mean, they're like really social people. And she said, she just died laughing. She said, yeah, if you only knew what it took. <laughs> <laughs> but, but we can do that. We just have to break it down for them so that they understand this is, this is the way of the world. You know, Scott Peck, the author of the book, The Road Less Traveled, said it is a parent's job to give a kid a roadmap of reality. Mm-hmm. And if we think about this, it's what you said, Laura, are, as an adult, will they have to strike up conversations? Will they have to act interested even if they aren't? Yep, they will. And so we help them become more socially fluent by actually teaching some of that. Yeah, yeah, it all, it all makes perfect sense. I love that story about going to hockey. And, uh, man, can I relate to the commitment of, uh, of, well, I can't relate, thankfully, but I can understand the commitment of driving through Boston, which is a disaster, even on a good day, um, at rush hour. So kudos to that guy. Um, all right, we need to go take a break. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes with more from Kathleen. We'll be right back. Author, radio show host, and coach, John M. Hawkins, reveals strategies to help gain perspective, build confidence, find clarity, achieve goals. John M. Hawkins' new book, Coached to Greatness, unlock your full potential with limitless growth. Published by iUniverse. Hawkins reveals strategies to help readers accomplish more. He believes the book can coach them to greatness. Hawkins says that the best athletes get to the top of their sport with the help of coaches, mentors, and others. He shares guidance that helps readers reflect on what motivates them, rediscover and assess their core values, philosophies, and competencies, find settings that allow them to be the most productive, and track their progress towards accomplishing goals. Listen to John Hawkins' My Strategy, Saturdays, 1 p.m. Eastern, on the BBM Global Network and TuneIn Radio. Are you struggling to care for elderly parents or a spouse? Do you wonder if being a caregiver is making you sick? Are you worried about taking time off work to care for elderly parents and balance work, life, and caregiving? Has caregiving become exhausting and emotionally draining? Are you an aging adult who wants to remain independent, but you're not sure how? I'm Pamela D. Wilson. Join me for the Caring Generation radio show for caregivers and aging adults, Wednesday evenings, 6 Pacific, 7 Mountain, 8 Central, and 9 Eastern, where I answer these questions and share tips for managing stress, family relationships, health, well-being, and more. Podcasts and transcripts of The Caring Generation are on my website, PamelaDWilson.com, plus my caregiving library, online caregiver support programs, and programs for corporations interested in supporting working caregivers. Help, Hope, and Support for Caregivers is here on The Caring Generation and PamelaDWilson.com. We are back with Sanity and Co-Parenting by Kin Crew. I am Laura McMahon and Kathleen and I are talking about parent relationships. And this evening we're really focusing on fathers' relationships with their kids. And so, Kathleen, I was wondering if you could share some examples of people who you have worked with or heard of through your work who have done it really well. Um, Because I know that especially parents of divorce, 
you know, dads suddenly find themselves spending maybe a lot more time with their kids during their parenting time um, one-on-one and developing that relationship feels even more important than it ever did before because maybe they're missing out on 50% or more time. And so, you know, really developing a strong connection with their kids feels like the most important thing that they can do. Yeah. Yeah, I would love to. And and I just want to say from the outset that I think one of the biggest challenges in parenting, whether you're parenting in a traditional couple or, a, you know, a, a second marriage situation or a single parent home, one of the biggest challenges in our parenting situation right now is the Internet and it whether it's gaming or social media or whatever. And I really encourage parents to set limits around it. It is not something that most kids are able to set limits for themselves. And you and I know that it's good for them. I'm not saying none. I certainly wouldn't say none. But we really have to think carefully about, particularly if our time is limited, if we just have our kids for the weekend or every other week or for a period of time in the summer, we really have to pay attention to the role that we want um, uh screens to play. The best person on the planet right now that's dealing with that is Delaney Rustin out of Seattle. Uh, you can find her at screenagers.com and she does a podcast and she's terrific. lot to say on that subject and she says it best. Okay, setting that aside, then the question is, given the time that I have, how can I connect with my children and in a way that's fun and meaningful and helpful to them? And I'd love to share some terrific examples of some dads that I think really did a great job. I realized as I was sort of conjuring this up that the thing that these guys have in common is that um, they paid attention to their individual children first. And oftentimes, They set a precedent at as early an age as possible that we are going to have this reserved time when we go together and it's just you and me. Um, And if possible, if there's more than one child in the family, can you break, can you figure out a way to just have at least some one-on-one time? And some of the great examples that I have heard have sprung from interests of the kid and or the dad. I could start with one, and actually this one started with the kid. Um, The kid was probably about 12 or 13. He was in middle school. He was a little chunky. Uh, He actually had almost zero interest in athletics. And the dad was aware of the fact that it was an age where most of the boys his age were peeling off and gaining their sense of identity and belonging by being a team member of some sort, basketball, baseball, whatever. And this kid just really didn't have any interest. The father did an excellent observational job by realizing that his kid did seem to have an unusual fascination of all things with the Civil War. (laughs) You know, where do these things come from? Who knows? Good teacher, interesting book, who knows? But the dad realized it, and he began to percolate, trying to figure out a way, how could he spend some time with this kid in a way that would build this kid's confidence? Because since he wasn't hitting the athletic circuit, 
um, the kid sort of had some self-doubt. And the dad happened upon an article in his local paper that there was uh, a monthly Civil War reenactment group that met about 25 miles out of town. Oh, and goodness. these were adults who loved the Civil War, and they read about it. They poured over the maps about it. They were into the munitions of the time and the uniforms of the time. And initially, the dad only meant it to be a Saturday expedition. He and his son <laughs> were going to drive out one Saturday and watch. But when the older men in this Civil War reenactment group saw this kid show up, they just latched onto him immediately, and they begin to tell him about the role that boys his age had played in the Civil War. And with that, they kind of hooked the kid's interest in being involved. And the next thing the dad and the kid knew, they were coming up with rough woolens to make a uniform like he would have worn back then. <laughs> and, you know, could they fashion a hat? Turns out that kids that age wore a special hat that designated them as non-combatants. Isn't that interesting? And so they carried messages and they helped get people off the battlefield who were wounded. But anyway, this kid became engrossed with it. He researched it. He read it. He talked to his dad about other places that were having big reenactments where groups from several states would show up. And they ended up on these vacation trips, the two of them going and watching it. I just want to cut to the bottom line. The kid was a brilliant uh, student in high school, and he ended up getting Phi Beta Kappa in American Studies out of college. He currently works for National Public Radio doing writing and publishing. So I, I really think dad's sensitivity to his interests and making it happen was really critical for that. That's what yeah, I think. Definitely. <laughs> Can't imagine a kid coming up with the, hey, I want to go to a Civil War reenactment by themselves. Right. But once they're there, right. that could be something really, really cool. Right. So, I mean, right. yes, take it out of the literal story. And, and really, the, the moral here is pay attention, really listen to those words and make sure that you're you are dragging some of that information and interest out of your kids. And then um, mm -hmm. and then go ahead and do something fun with it and try to find that individual time. All great pieces of advice, for sure, for connecting. All right, we are going uh -huh. to go to our final break. Um, and when we come back, Kathleen and I will be wrapping up. Um, and we will uh, talk about a few resources to check out. So we'll be back in just a couple minutes. Have you ever wondered why some children recover from their symptoms of autism while others never seem to get any better? After 13 years of research, Karen Thomas has recovered her own son from his symptoms of autism naturally. She now shares how she did it with you in her free webinar so that you can have the right resources and knowledge to help your child. The definition of recovery is to regain health. Karen offers this to you in four stages. Healing the gut, natural heavy metal detoxification, balancing the co-infections of autism, brain support, and repair. Register now for this free webinar to help you know what you can do to help your child to sleep better, be more calm, improve focus, and reach their fullest potential to live a happy, healthy life. Go to naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash free workshop. Empowering parents with the resources to naturally recover autism from a mom 
who's done it. The opiate epidemic has reached crisis levels, and with so many families affected by addiction, opiate-related drug overdoses, and death, the time is now to have a real constructive conversation about addiction that could lead to better prevention, treatment, and recovery. Alan Charles, author and keynote speaker on drug abuse and prevention, presents The Alan Charles Show. Alan brings a message of hope, sharing his unbelievable story of surviving a 24-year addiction to cocaine and highlights from his memoir, Walking Out the Other Side, an addict's journey from loneliness to life. His raw honesty and courageous heart breaks the stigma of addiction and offers a unique perspective into the mind of an addict. Join Alan each week as he brings his listeners to a true understanding of the grip of addiction. It is only with this understanding that we can begin to heal. The Alan Charles Show, Thursdays at 9 p.m. Eastern on the BBM Global Network. This is Laura McMahon coming at you live from BBM Global Network, and you are listening to Sanity and Co-Parenting by Kin Crew. This evening, I have had the pleasure yet again to speak with Kathleen Fisher, and uh, I wanted to mention a couple resources if you're interested in finding out more about Kathleen. Um, she has a couple websites here. One is KathleenFisher.com, and Fisher is spelled F-I-S-C-H-E-R. And then Kathleen's blog is literally called Kathleen'sBlog.com. And uh, if you're interested in finding her on Instagram, that is Kathleen Fisher Parenting. And um, Kathleen, you just actually mentioned in the last one that if you are a parent that is struggling with how to manage your teenager's screen time, that uh, Delaney Reston, who runs the website Screenagers.com, uh, is a great resource for that. And I think that's probably something that everyone should check out. <laughs> um, and yeah. you said that she has a podcast as well, correct? She does. And the thing that I really appreciate about her approach is she doesn't act as if it is just a kid problem. She acknowledges the fact that within the context of family, we all have a challenge about tuning in too much to our cell phones or our screens. And, and so a lot of times I think particularly teenagers can feel sort of under attack, like my parents after me, but dad, look at you, you're always looking at your cell phone. And, and so her approach is what does a family need to flourish and how can we set up circumstances that work well for everybody. And I believe that that decreases the tension as if accusing the kid all the time and helps it become more of a uh, open-ended conversation about what's good for relationships, what's good for sleep, you know, all that kind of stuff. Right. So, An internal the, culture shift. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. And probably something that I should personally pay attention to myself. Um, yeah, I think we all, I mean, you know, we're all guilty of it, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so as usual, we will have all of the links up on our website as well. And our website is kincrew.io and that's C-I-N-C, no, it isn't. It's K-I-N-C-R-E-W.io. 
And uh, there, Kathleen, this time I spelled your last name correctly, but I couldn't even say my website correctly, <laughs> even though I've spelled it a hundred times. So there there's go. got to be at least one of those an episode, maybe. Um, yeah. So, and and certainly go on and check out all of the other people who we've had uh, on the show and check out their resources. We've got all kinds of different fantastic resources for you to look at. Um, we've spoken to Laurel Stark, who is a uh, divorce professional real estate agent. Um, we've talked about collaborative law. We've talked about mindfulness and really being healthy for yourself and your own mindset. I mean, we've really covered so many different fantastic topics and I've had the pleasure of speaking with so many professionals and also um, people who have just been willing to share their own personal stories in, in divorce and, and separation, whether it be themselves or their parents. And so definitely a lot of great stories to go check out on the site and I encourage you to go scroll through our our list and since this is our 24th episode tonight um, I think we've put together quite a good resource for everybody and um, Kathleen I'm really grateful that you were willing to come back on because it always <laughs> we always go really fast through our episode don't we <laughs> yeah well it just seems like there's a lot of interesting things to kind of think about and and I just for a moment want to return and say that um, in my experience, um, I, first of all, I have never met a husband and wife, married, divorced, whatever. I have never met a couple where both parents see eye to eye on every subject. And the way that I have observed that, for the most part, is that, you know, we have two eyes that are located on the front of our head, but not exactly in the same place. And because they're near each other, but not at the same place, when we look at something, when we gaze at an object, we can see with depth perception. I believe that that's what we can provide for children when we have two parents who see something from slightly different perspectives. We share it with our kids and our kids see the depth so that I certainly don't expect any parents to agree on 100% of stuff. And I think it's fine to say, you know, yeah, your yeah. dad and I don't see this the same way or your mom and I don't see it the same way. And if we can do that in a respectful way, it provides a depth perception where our children are able to see things with a deeper understanding. Awesome. I think that's that is, all I that have is, to say tonight. <laughs> Great. That is the perfect thought to end on. Thank you so much for coming on, Kathleen. My pleasure. All right. Have a great night, everyone. This has been Finding Sanity in Co-Parenting with host Laura McMahon. Listen each week as Laura helps you eliminate potential conflicts by giving you the tools and knowledge to reduce stress and focus on what's best for you and your child's well-being. So tune in each week and become a better co-parent with Laura McMahon's Finding Sanity in Co-Parenting. You've been listening to the BBM Global Network. 
The ideas, views, and opinions of this broadcast are those of the participants of the program and are not necessarily the ideas, views, and opinions of the BBM Global Network Company. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.